Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Yeah. <laughs> my <laughs> name is do. Yes, my name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. Uh, for the purposes of, purposes of this particular podcast, uh, you can call me Rockmeister McCool, if you wish. Most do. And, uh, yeah, this is We've Got Mail. This is where you control the conversation right here, uh, the critically acclaimed network. Uh, here's how it works. You send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. You ask us a question, you comment on something you've heard in one of our podcasts, sometimes people give us uh, important corrections when we get something wrong. Always exciting to learn more about stuff. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this is uh, your place. This is your place to uh, get us to talk about whatever you want. Mm. Uh, so we're always uh, very grateful for that. You also, if you so choose, can send us uh, a physical letter or some other package sometimes, uh, if, if you if you wish, some have, uh, to our P.O. Box. Whitney, That's what right. is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send it to the Crit- Critically Acclaimed Network. I'm stumbling a lot today. The Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And we always, if we get uh, uh, stuff in the P.O. Box, we always begin with that. Yeah. So, uh, Whitney, we actually have something this we, week. We did. We got in this our... exciting. It didn't come with a letter, though, so uh, there's nothing for me to read. Uh, this comes from uh, somebody named David. Thank you, David. Thank this you, comes David. from Ireland. Ooh, very this, exciting. This is an international package that somebody bothered to send. Uh, par which is, avion. Which and, I've, uh, I've done international shipping. It's not easy, so yeah, I do appreciate so it. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. And uh, what what they sent us was uh, we each got a book of four postage stamps. Yeah, this is really cool, by the and, way. Uh, and yeah. these, of course, you know, these are not for us to use on American letters. No, I don't think they would uh, work. They wouldn't be know. valid here in the United States, but yeah. uh, they are photographs of uh, Irish Academy Award winners. Yeah. And they're holding their Oscar statuettes on the stamps. It's uh, very cool. There's one of uh, Brenda Fricker and Daniel Day-Lewis uh, for My Left Foot. Yep, there's one for Neil Jordan mm-hmm. winning for The Crying Game. Here's um, Martin McDonough for Six Shooter. Which was a short film he made. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And uh, here's uh, Glenn Hansard and Marketa Erglova. Erglova. Sorry, the type's a little small, but it's a little dark in here. Uh, Winning Best Original Song for Once. Yeah. Uh, And that is very neat. And these are... These are nicer than American. These are stamps. way nicer these, than these American. Are like American stamps printed suck. on nice paper stuff. Yeah, they've got you've got like texture to them. Although, so like, uh, like I feel like you remember like the 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 entomologist in the Sounds of the Lambs. Someone loved this. Someone loved him. Fed yeah. it deadly nightshade, <laughs> kept it warm. Like that's how I feel about these stamps. Someone loved these stamps. These are wonderful stamps. These so, are great. Thank you for these stamps. Thank you. Oh yeah, we'll keep these in our collection. I'll, we absolutely will. Uh, I have a shelf to, you for, know my, uh, for my for uh, my stuff we received will, from, uh, our, from will, our fans. This is you know I, Irish movie stars i'm going to put this in my copy of james joyce's ulysses as Ooh, my little bookmark that's keep, lovely keep the irish thing going a little that's bit that's really fun so listen thank you so much for sending that that's really really appreciated these are really cool yeah neat. Mm-hmm. i, I actually did you ever did you ever collect stamps as a kid i i've always liked stamps i've never collected or kept them though yeah. i just when i go to the post office i always make sure to sort yeah. of get the most interesting ones but then i use them i uh, I, I went through a brief stamp collecting phase hmm. when i was young i never really got uh, into it enough to really know what i was doing but there was this really cool uh, hobbyist shop that hmm. had tons of stamps like really nice. old stuff and i would i would i would just pour through them and pick the stuff i thought looked cool yeah so yeah. somewhere in my parents house there's a there's a stamp collecting book <laughs> Very some, nice. maybe there's some I, uh, super big, famous 
rare, like in the movie Charade, <laughs> kind of yeah. stamp in there that's like um, worth a billion dollars that I, I don't know about, but man. I know the glue uh, is unreal. Like, eventually it would dry out and become unreliable, but I yeah. wish they would go back to lick stamps. Yeah, those are fun. Uh, well, also, it's less waste. Uh, mm. All of the adhesive stamps have to come with a paper backing, and you just yeah. throw that away. So, you know, lick stamps, you just lick the stamp on it to put it on. There's no yeah. backing. There's less, less there's, waste. There's like, there's, like, a little thin strip of, like, just to connect them all, but, like, it's almost no waste. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As opposed to these ones, which I'm going to put this on my shelf right now. You, okay. <laughs> read the first letter. All right. And, uh, and we get letters besides. Here's uh, our first email. It comes from RJ. Hello, RJ. Hi, RJ. Uh, dear Bibbs and Whitney, I'll get straight to the point. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> but you, you can ramble, actually. We don't care. Um, do you think the best adapted screenplay, screenplay award at the Academy Awards should be judged on the quality of the screenplay itself or how well it has been adapted from the source material? And further to that, how often do you think the source material actually comes into play when voting? Uh, to save Bibbs the explaining, the best adapted screenplay category focuses <laughs> on the screenplay that are based on other works, whether it's an adaptation of book, play, comic book, TV show, or a remake, or a sequel of another film, hence mm-hmm. why films like Toy Story 2 and 3 have been nominated. Yeah. Now, it seems more likely to me that these screenplays are judged more often on the quality of their writing as opposed to how well they are adapted. Realistically, how many Academy members have read the books, or watched mm-hmm. the original films, or seen or TV shows, or read the comic books, etc.? There'd be far too many people who likely wouldn't be qualified to make that judgment. But the issue I have with that is that there is little distinction between original adapted screenplay if we're judging them based on their quality. Defeats the point of recognizing adapted work. I think back to the 2020 ceremony when Joker, Little Women, and Jojo Rabbit were nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay with Jojo Rabbit winning. It was, I was rooting for Little Women that year, not uh, not only because it was the best film nominated, but because I had read only a small portion of the book, yet I could tell how transformative Greta Gerwig's take was in many ways. Yeah. I uh, haven't read Caging Skies, which is the book Jojo Rabbit is based on, but I can imagine people being impressed uh, with how Taika Waititi took a dramatic novel and turned it into a comedy. The plot is mostly the same, as far as I'm aware, minus the humor and imaginary Hitler. Uh, I, I remember uh, reading an interview with Taika Waititi. They said, what kind of research did you do to play Adolf Hitler? He said, none. <laughs> I'm honoring that fuck. <laughs> yeah, I did appreciate that. Mm. And then you have Joker, which is apparently inspired by The Killing Joke and The Dark Knight Returns, but according to Todd Phillips, it doesn't follow any of those comic books and is instead just an adaptation of the character, at which point, how the fuck do you judge that? And could you justifiably, if cheekily, judge it based on its inspiration from Scorsese movies? That would have been interesting. That would have been fair, I Uh, think. uh, Best adapted screenplay, Joker, based kind of on the king of comedy. Not kind of, almost very, very, very explicitly. I'm sure the answer is simple, but I want to hear your thoughts. Honest oh. bonus question: If you think best uh, best picture was better off limited to five films, are you glad that it's a solid ten? And if you had to reduce this year's nominees to five, what would you pick? Mine would be very easy: Drive My Car, Coda, Dune, The Power of the Dog, and Nightmare Alley. Licorice Pizza is mostly great, but the third act meanders like hell. King Richard is a perfectly sport, uh, good sports biopic, but it isn't really special. West Side Story is an impressively made chore. <laughs> Oh, I love West Side Story. Uh, <laughs> Belfast is sometimes cute, but mostly incompetent. And oh, Don't Look that. Up is Don't Look Up. <laughs> it's a little harsh on Belfast, yeah, but okay. I, I like Belfast as Everyone's well. Everyone's allowed. Uh, uh, thanks for the great work as always. Hope you're both well, RJ. Uh, okay. Ar- okay. Thank you for writing in, RJ. That's a really great question, RJ. And um, here's how the Academy works, if anyone... RJ did a great job of explaining the category, but I want to make something clear about uh, how the Academy uh, collects nominations. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... How- the question remains, like, if this is not your field, how does someone who doesn't know how sound design works oh. vote for best sound? This is a problem we run into every single year. However, the nominations 
didn't come from a specific branch of the Academy. So only the people who work in sound design... Are nominating the sound Oscars. Yeah, everyone nominates for Best Picture. That's that's an aggregate of everyone. But you only nominate for whatever branch or occasionally branches. Some people are like in writing and directing. You know, usually it's only one though. Mm-hmm. Um, so theoretically, the people who are nominating for the films that are nominated, the five films mm-hmm. in any given category, uh, know what they're talking about. They are they have a close relationship to the craft and they have a general sense theoretically of what is good and what is bad or at least what is considered of high quality at the moment uh so theoretically the people who are in the writer's branch who are nominating for best adapted screenplay and original um they really know what they're talking about when it comes to like oh that was really hard that's a really really great screenplay but the question is how do we judge what is a great adaptation? Is it just the quality of what of the end result? Or do we take the difficulty of the adaptation, or at the very least the transformative power, or even mm-hmm. the accuracy, into account? Uh, I think in a perfect world, mm-hmm. everyone would have the opportunity and the time to read the stuff this is based on. Or watch it, in the case of something like Coda, which is based on a French film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would be very illuminating. Uh, I have I haven't read obviously every single thing that's ever been adapted mm. and been nominated for best adapted feature uh, for best adapted screenplay, but a lot of stuff that I have I have a lot of respect for it. Mm. Uh, one screenplay I keep coming back to over and over again because if you read this book and it's a great book, uh, and then you see the movie, you see that movie is great. They worked their asses off to turn that into a movie because that's really complicated. Is LA Confidential? Yeah, yeah, they I removed did. major subplots. They they combined characters. That whole thing with the uh, Rolo Tomasi. It's arguably like the biggest gut punch scenes oh. in the movie. Entirely invented for the <laughs> film. Uh, the final shootout at the in LA Confidential. The movie is literally the first scene of the book. It's a gigantic change, mm-hmm. and yet it captures the spirit perfectly. That's really, really complicated. And then, of course, there's stuff that is more straightforward. Kenneth Branagh was nominated for not changing Hamlet. He did turn it into a movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he didn't just sort of, like, hand around the folio, the first folio, and but say, ba- just do that. But basically what he did was he said, here's where this scene takes place, here's the context of mm. this scene. And he didn't write any new dialogue. He didn't no, even change any scenes around. <clears throat> he just did the play. And which, which was it. a good choice. Well, I was going to say you know? that's an adap- an adaptation choice, isn't yeah. it? But it's hard to compare <clears> that. <throat> well, actually, Excuse me. I'm curious actually what he was up to that. Uh, what he was up against. Okay, so that year that was ninety six. Ninety six. So up against Jerry Maguire. No, not quite. Not quite. Here, here's what was nominated for exactly. best adapted screenplay in nineteen ninety six. Hamlet did not win. English Patient won, right? The Eng- uh, no, the English Patient was nominated. It's actually oh, one of the yeah. few uh, Oscars that didn't win. Fargo won. No, Fargo's not adapted either. Shh. I'm trying to guess. Okay, Sling Blade won. That's right, Sling Blade. Okay, Sling Blade, which is based on a short film by Mm. Billy Bob Thornton, then he turned it to a feature. Uh, The Crucible was nominated. Arthur Miller did the adaptation. Great. I haven't seen that version. Oh, it's very good. It's very, very good. Uh, Anthony Bangella was nominated for The English Patient. Uh, Kenneth Brown was nominated for Hamlet. And John Hodge was nominated for Train Spotting, which is a book, another book I've read. And I don't know how the fuck he did that. Because that book book is. Just an, a weird collection of anecdotes. Mm. Like, there's no through line whatsoever. <laughs> and I, honestly, if I were voting, I think having. I've never. I've seen the short film, some folks call it a sling blade. 
I've seen original productions of The Crucible. I don't think I've ever actually read that. Sat down and read it. Mm. I read some of the novel of the English Patient, but I didn't care for it, so I so I stopped. Uh, and I've read Hamlet, I've seen Hamlet, and I've read Trainspotting. Of all of those, I would say Trainspotting is the most complicated adaptation. It's the okay. most difficult yeah. thing to transform into a movie. And if we're basing it on that scale, you, you kind of have to give it to Trainspotting. Okay. As for what's the best screenplay, I think it's a toss-up between Trainspotting and Sling Blade. I think those are both really, really good scripts. Yeah. Um, what about you? What do you think? Uh... I think when it comes to an adapted screenplay, uh, accuracy to source material be damned. It does yeah. not matter how close it is. Well, the if it's whole, a good idea to keep it close, it matters, I suppose. I, but like, it's just a matter of no. I don't even think that's true. You don't I, think uh, I, you don't think you're making that choice, and you have to stick by that choice, and it matters. No, I don't think so. I think wow. when you're writing a screenplay, right. that's your screenplay, and you can write it however the hell you want. Well, I'm not talking and, about the uh, fealty police coming after you. I'm yeah. just saying you're. You choose what to stay close to, and you choose what mm. to change, and sometimes you don't end up with a good movie at the end. I, I think the, uh, or sometimes you do. Maybe all yeah. of the changes you made made it a better screenplay. Yeah, I'm just um, saying, I, I don't think there's, there's I think one way to do it. When when you're judging a sort of best adapted screenplay, and this is always the way I've thought of it, is it's just the quality of the screenplay. You mm. wrote a good screenplay. The only thing they're acknowledging is it wasn't your idea. I suppose that's It true. wasn't your story or it wasn't your character. You're taking somebody else's idea and making an inter- your interesting story out of it, and that's all we're acknowledging. You know what I wish we you could... You didn't invent that story, you didn't invent those characters. Hence, Joker just the character that's not your character yeah you can write whatever story well, you want with the joker but it does belong to somebody else and somebody hmm. else invented it i'm curious and now you but if you're going to use is. those uh if you're going to use those uh character names and you're going to use the setting and you're going to use the sort of the context of the character mm-hmm. however you're going to use it you are adapting someone else's work if uh, you do it really really huh. well you get an oscar nomination I'm I'm doing a quick scan over the best original screenplay nominations mm-hmm. to see if there's any like well you didn't invent that character, and, and we're not talking about character. Well, like Topsy Turvy and... was nominated for best original screenplay. Mm-hmm. That's a biopic. Yeah. So that they didn't create didn't invent those characters either. No, but they that's real history. That's real life. That's not copyright, and that's not somebody else's. So the, so all the written story. So if you do the so if you one second if if you do the research. Uh-huh. On a pre-existing real story, yeah, it's an original screenplay. That's if right. someone else does it and turns it into a book, and you turn that into an adapted screenplay, mm-hmm. then it's an adapted screenplay. That's right. Seems a little nebulous to me, but well, you're still uh, you're still taking something that isn't yours. Well, but if you, if you're doing the research, if you're just researching real life, that's mm-hmm. just people's lives. You can write about real life. You can write about your own life. You can write about well, uh, William yeah. Gilbert and Sir Arthur Sullivan all you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know a lot about them, write a story about them. And all of that, all of their dialogue is now yours. Yeah. Uh, I really love Topsy Turvy. Yeah, good, really good movie. Yeah, I like it a lot. Uh, That's no slight against Topsy Turvy. I'm just if, saying one could make the argument if you really But if somebody else to. did all of the research, they did all the work for you, didn't they? So you're, well, you're, you're, get, you're still getting a little bit of a leg up. Okay, well then here's my question. And, uh-huh. this, is, and this is a fun debate, though, because there's no like right answer to this. Uh-huh. This is all these are all like definitions we've kind of made up. Mm-hmm. Best original screenplay, best adapted screenplay. You know, there's 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 no one right way to look at this. But there's a debate that we have and decisions had to be made, and once the Academy makes a decision, they have to stick to it. it makes sense. Here's my question to you. If we're acknowledging, if all we're acknowledging mm-hmm. in best adapted screenplay is that you didn't come up with the original work. You didn't originally create the character. You didn't originally tell the story. Yeah, it's, it's somebody else, yeah. somebody else's work that you turned yeah. into a screenplay. Ergo, you would not be here were it not for this other person. They're the ones who are the reason we're here, technically. Yeah. 
Should not the Oscar be shared between you and the original writer or storyteller? Well, I mean, they didn't write it, did they? They didn't write the screenplay. They they're, wrote they're the award- first draft. They're they're but the the the, the award's going to the screenplay. Uh huh. You're not going to give an Oscar to Shakespeare because he wrote Hamlet. Why not? He wrote <laughs> Hamlet. He's dead. He wrote <laughs> Hamlet. He didn't, he didn't know from movies. He only saw a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's, that's me being cheeky. It, okay. In any case, uh, regarding the second part, so it, so it, it, it seems pretty, bait to have. It, no, it seems pretty clear cut to me. Well, I, <laughs> if, I yeah. if you're writing a screenplay based on some, and okay, they even yes. say adapted from a, a material previously published. Yeah. So it's been you know it, le- legally sanctified yeah, yeah, yeah. in a certain way. It, uh, it is already out there in the world for the public to consume in a previous yeah. form, and when you turn it into a new form, mm. that's an adapted screenplay. Yeah. I, I, I agree with Whitney that what really matters is how it turns out. I think in a perfect world, we'd have all the information necessary to mm. really understand the depth of the yeah, work the, that uh, someone did in, in any field, not just adapted screenplay, but yeah, in but production design or whatever. You would understand the difficulty level mm. and what they did, what the specific challenges were involved that made their achievement unique, maybe not better than, but unique from everyone else's achievement yeah. that the, year. Uh, and you do that for all the nominees in every category. There's a film uh, based on the life and opinions of Tristram Shandy Gentleman by Lawrence Stern. It's an 18th, yeah. early 18th century novel. That they, uh, they actually repeat a very popular criticism of the book where mm. they say, uh, oh, it, it was a postmodern novel before there was a modern to be post to. Uh, <laughs> something professors will say about Tristram Shandy. And uh, Michael Winterbottom adapted that book into a movie called Tristram Shandy, A Cock and Bull Story. It starred uh, Steve Coogan. And that book is unadaptable. It's mm-hmm. The whole gag with the book is it's about a character named, uh, named Tristram Shandy who's going to tell you his life. He's going to tell you his life story. And he sits down and says, I'm going to tell you all of my life story. And he gets so distracted with asides and little anecdotes and little side stories about other members of his family uh-huh. that the last thing that happens in the book is that he's born. Like just the whole the whole book <laughs> he never is, gets he, around he ne- to it. never yeah. gets to the point. And they the, in the last page they say, "What was the story about? A cock and a bull, and better for it." And that's where we get the term "cock and bull" story. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think trying to adapt that something as o- opaque and oblique and strange mm. as Tristram Shandy into a film at all is going to be a monumental achievement. Mm-hmm. Tristram Shandy wasn't up for any Academy Awards. I think that's and also the adaptation tried to rather than adapt sort of the events of the book turn it into kind of like the movie adaptation the trouble of turning that book into a movie so it's about a movie set and they're trying to make the Tristram Mm. Shandy movie so there's scenes from the Lawrence Stern book and also like executives uh, trying to rewrite the script and figure out what the hell so it's a post post modern it's like post post modern yeah yeah and which so which some might just call insufferable. So Steve Coogan <laughs> plays Tristram Shandy, but he also plays Steve Coogan himself, yeah. uh, who's, who is also playing this role. Which, doing that postmodern thing with the fe- feature film is actually really true to the spirit of the book. That's actually yeah. a really good way to adapt that book, even if it's not sure. a direct adaptation of the material itself. Yeah. Uh, that was a great adaptation. Is it a great screenplay? I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it up for awards? No. Nobody, because it's too strange, yeah. I think. And also, a lot of people aren't familiar with Lawrence Stern. He's uh, yeah. sort of, for like, deep-cut lit nerds. Uh, the second half of the email was about Best Picture. Yeah. And uh, how this year there were ten nominees. For the last ten years or so, the rule was it was between five and ten, depending on where, how many, who, what movies got the most nomi- uh, nominations. Mm. 
and then briefly before that it was 10. Then for most of Academy history, it was only 5. But uh, before the mid-1940s, there were 10, uh, usually. It's all arbitrary. Every single one of those is arbitrary. Uh, I personally like that when there's 10, because I think that there's always only like two or three films that have a realistic shot because it is a popularity contest. Well, let's not talk you about know. odds. Well, I'm just so, saying, I'm just saying, in an ideal world. if people are thinking about like, oh, will it help handicap? I don't give a shit. But uh, realistically, only a couple of them really have a chance at winning the popularity contest every year. But what's cool about it is that it creates a snapshot of what was being celebrated that mm. year. Now, there's always stuff that's left out. That's Some of them get nominated for the other awards, and that's nice. But there's always something that's going to get left out. The Academy always has their favorite type of things. Biopics are very, very big with them. Uh but we have a podcast called Only the Best on mm-hmm. our uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where we've been reviewing every single film ever nominated for Best Picture in order. And we've been going through the 1930s and the 1940s. And every year there's like, eh, depending on the year, between like two and five movies people really know. Mm-hmm. Like if only by name. And then there's always a bunch of films that have kind of gone by the wayside in history. And having, you know, having that, their names in, inscribed in history, having their names inscribed at the Academy Awards, means that we're more likely to go back and revisit them. Gives us an excuse to do so. Reminds us that, that there was a time when these films, even if they're considered less significant now, were considered the most significant of the year. And I think it's really exciting. In the moment, it might just seem like a jumble of movies. But in 50 years, this, this is an interesting crop we had this year. It's not just a whole bunch of biopics. We had uh, uh, a very sweet family film uh, about uh, a, a young a teenager growing up mm-hmm. in a deaf family. Uh, we had uh, a somewhat um, nostalgic, somewhat uh, bittersweet uh, biopic mm-hmm. of Kenneth Branagh as a child. We had a sci-fi ensemble comedy uh, about how we're all going to die and it's all our fault. We had a Japanese film about a uh, director who's like putting on an avant-garde version of Uncle Vanya while being <laughs> chauffeured around town and listening to an audio cassette of his dead wife. Uh, we had Dune, which was this giant epic, you know, humongoid franchise event. We had King Richard, which before the narrative changed, was like a very sweet film about um, the two biggest tennis stars in the world and how much they love their dad mm-hmm. and they want to make a movie about that. Uh, we have uh, Paul Thomas Anderson remembers the 70s. Remember that? Yeah. We had Nightmare Alley, a big uh, film noir remake from Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had The Power of the Dog, which is a, you know, a queer western. And we had West Side That's Story. Sm- spoilers. Big... <laughs> I guess week not, we all know. know. It's, it's pretty obvious early on. I, I suppose so. And uh, the, the, uh, the queerness is like kind of the twist in that movie. I don't think. It's the, I don't think it's the twist. I think it's the point. I think it's what. Well, it's, it's the point, but they kind of. Where it, comes from, like it, where, it comes it slowly, from, where it comes from, where it comes from, whatever, who cares? Uh, and, and then there's West Side Story, which is a big, giant, opulent Hollywood musical remake. That's a big variety of films, and if there were only five of those, a lot of those wouldn't get like that kind of representation. They wouldn't be part of the snapshot of this year. Um, which five would I have chosen? I'm not a, I, honestly. I probably wouldn't have chosen most of these for Best Picture. <laughs> I probably these, these if I these if I nominated ten, hmm. I would have nominated maybe three or four of these. 
Uh, I probably would have nominated... I definitely would have nominated The Power of the Dog. Hmm. I definitely would have nominated Drive My Car. Yes. Those are the two I absolutely... want. Of those ten, absolutely would have nominated them. Of the others, the ones that I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, I think uh, West Side Story, miscast lead aside, is a handsome production. Probably would have gone for that. Hmm. Uh, Belfast is... I appreciate that some might find it, you know, a little conventional in some ways, but very well crafted. Uh, so I wouldn't mind that. Uh, and probably Coda. Coda is a sweet film. I got okay. nothing against Coda. Um, um, other than I don't think they they understand how teaching choir works very well. But other than yeah, that, it's a very sweet film. I got nothing nothing against it. Uh, what about you? If you had to pick five um, of this uh, year's of, crop, of those only of only of the okay, nominees, because um, obviously, I mean personally, I, I would totally switch them out with the worst person in the world yeah, or Tick Tick Boom or The Lost yeah, Daughter. Um, you know, where was In the Heights this year? Nobody liked In the Heights. I don't know why. It's I, such it's a such a, good it's movie. Such a brilliant movie. It deserved. Uh, I think it deserved at least cinematography and supporting actress. Yeah, Bare. Yeah. Minimum. Uh, I would have cho- minimum. chosen Drive My Car. I would have chosen yeah. Power of the Dog. I would have chosen West Side Story. Yeah. Uh, just because I, I actually like those movies quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I would not have nominated King Richard. No. Uh, that, that's sort of meh. Yeah. Uh, Good performances, I, maybe was, screenplay, yeah, but wasn't, I wouldn't wasn't so impressed with Dune. Uh, I no, just nor act- I. actively dislike uh, both Nightmare Alley and Nic- Licorice Pizza. I like uh, Nightmare Alley fine, but I think it's too bloated to be best picture yeah, nominated. It's, it's like, it's, it should have been shorter. It should have been tighter. Yeah, I got, yeah. Again, my... It, rather than have the first 45 minutes, just lop all that off. The whole thing. All of no. the carnival stuff. I think you can get through it faster. Have you seen the original? No. Much tighter, not as good an ending. Okay. That's the thing. I, yeah, I think yeah. you, the perfect Nightmare Alley is the original film, the new ending. Or rather, okay. the original ending that the Brescian Code wouldn't let them use. Which Guillermo del Toro put back would do it, And it's a great ending. It's a, it's a yeah. damn near perfect uh, and, ending. But and, and I guess Belfast, because I think Belfast is yeah. quite sweet. Uh, and, and it is you know sort of about Irish history. Um, but you know, like I, I like the sort of low camera mm. child's perspective of this big point in history, rather than sort of belaboring it. It is about yeah. sort of things that concern a child and yeah. getting a good math score so you can sit next to the kid you have a crush on in yeah. class. B- Belfast is one of those movies where you know you watch it, and it's like this is a well made movie. There's really nothing wrong with this movie. It just doesn't have that like holy shit impact. Uh-huh. So when you put it next to movies that arguably do, you just sort of look at it and go, really. <laughs> But there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> it's yeah. just on its own. It's a lovely film. Um, uh, I was I was actually uh, just on my um, on my phone trying to find my top twenty list. Oh of, yeah, like the yeah, best yeah. films that I, I said were the best. Mine films went through a, mine went through a couple of permutations uh, uh, since because I hadn't seen I hadn't seen the worst person in the world. It definitely would have made my top ten. Yeah, I think I, mine would too. And honestly, I I think Encanto would have at least cracked my top twenty. Oh really? Like, okay. I I really quite fell in love with Encanto. Right. I think it's a really really excellent film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, my my number one was uh, uh, Labyrinth of Cinema. Yes, I remember yeah, that. Yeah. Nobuhiko Bayashi film. Uh, my set and my number two was Days, the mm. Simon Lang film, which nobody talked about other than critics. My number three was Summertime, mm-hmm. uh, and my number four was Drive My Car. So yeah. uh, I also had a. <laughs> Uh, the power of the dog at yeah, I, I guess the number doesn't matter, but the power yeah. of the dog was in my I'm top ten to think, as well. Did any of my top ten get nominated for any? None. The only one of my top ten that got nominated for anything at the Oscars was the Mitchells versus the Machines. Oh wow! Okay. Although the worst person in the world would have cracked that, so I guess yeah. it would have. But uh, yeah, my number one was Summertime. My number two was Psycho Gorman, and I stand by that. Uh, my number three was The Harder They Fall. My number four was Titan. My number five was Quo Vadis Aida. Yeah, uh, I, you know, the Fear Street trilogy, The Amusement Park, Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, mm-hmm. Pig should have been nominated for something. 
Um, at, least, at least actor. Nicholas at least Cage, actor. Holy shit. Yeah, I, I was... Uh... Sorry, go on. No, you know, we should go on, actually. Right. I think we've, we've talked about this a lot. But, yeah, um, but I just like reminiscing. I, I know. Movies, but... Those are the days, right? <laughs> Remember when we were younger and, and more innocent? I wish that I knew what I know. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> what do we got next? Uh, let's read another letter. Please. Uh, here is a letter from... Oh, uh, where's the name? Dr. Nova. Oh, hi, Dr. Nova. Hi, Dr. Nova. We've heard good, from Dr. Good Nova to hear before. Uh, hi, guys. Hi. Uh, your conversations of movies not being on streaming is the conversation on piracy. Yes, that's Indeed a big part it of it. Is. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. If you go on YouTube right now, you can find movies that people have uploaded and studios don't care about. Yeah. Uh, in Search of Dr. Seuss. Uh, soy Seuss. Seuss. Most people say soy, but soy is technically correct. So, yeah. Um, in Search of Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. I watched it for free, and it was interesting. Uh, I hear the cat in the hat talk about Nazis and name drop Hitler. I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen that either. I I know, I know Dr. Seuss did, uh, political cartoons. Yeah. Like political cartoons back in the day. There's a really, um, rather chilling picture of, uh, I think it's British parliament or maybe it's, um, Uh I I think he was living in England at the time. I actually Uh don't know his biography very well, but, um, it's like a meeting of politicians and uh, the building's ceiling has been blown open and they're all wearing gas masks, but they're still like sort of debating policy. That's a, that's that's a very pretty potent image. Very potent image. Uh, and uh, B seeing the director in commercial in comments writing about how he loved watching his movie again. Yeah. So yeah, the, the director's film is lost. The director wants you to see that. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're not getting money for it. I'm sure they, I'm sure they would there. prefer it if it was available, you know, legally mm. and they could get some money off of it, but at least it's mm. out there. Yeah. Ooh, uh, What's My Line is a panel show from the 1950s and 1960s. I know What's My Line. Mm-hmm. And uh, this channel's entire thing is fighting and hosting what I assume is their favorite show. Have yeah. you ever seen What's My Line? Uh, no, I don't think I, I know of it, but I don't okay. think I ever watched it. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's different from Whose Line Is It Anyway. It's a totally different thing. No, what, What's My Line is a game show. I yeah. somebody steps forward and they say like, uh, you have to guess what their profession is. Oh, oh, um, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I've seen bits of that. Yeah, right. um, this person has an interesting job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what's uh, my line? Is not like what's my line of dialogue. It's what's my line no. of work. What's my line of work? Yeah. Ah, okay. Then what's, yes, what's I have seen that, okay. but for some reason, I thought it was called something else. Yeah. Okay. Um, similar but different is directors who can't get streaming services on board, uh, on board out, uh, full movies on their YouTube channel. They bore, uh, bore out their full movies on their YouTube channels mm. or sell it through their own website. Right. So it, it doesn't belong to them, but they're kind of doing it underhanded. I remember, anyway. I think Frank Oz did that with uh, Muppet People Talking. Uh, oh, it was only yeah, available yeah. like through his own website. It was mm-hmm. just—it's a, a cute little documentary about just all the various, well, not all, but a lot of the various Muppet, Muppet puppeteers yeah. uh, getting together and reminiscing about the old days. And mm-hmm. that's it—that's the whole movie. It's interesting uh, if you like Muppets, would most people do. We uh, we covered a show on Canceled Too Soon called The Edge. It was a, a yeah. incredibly violent sketch comedy show from the early '90s on Fox. Yeah. Uh, a show that I was very fond of when it aired. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, we saw it because of an enterprising fan. Yeah, they were someone, able to find it for us, yeah. and then we were able to watch it. So thank you. Mm. Uh, but uh, Julie Brown, the star and producer of that show, uh, not the downtown variety, no, the, the, the uptown the, Julie or, 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 Brown original recipe, yeah. uh, was a, she was able to somehow get like some limited rights to both the Edge and her sitcom Strip Mall. Oh. And uh, she was just selling homemade DVDs from her own website. So That's nice. that was a way to kind of get it legit, and you're just giving money straight to Julie Brown. That's great. Yeah. Julie Brown deserves it. Mm. I, I don't think any of the other actors on the show got any royalties. Well, you know. But, you know, it, it also has. There's nothing's perfect. It also has Wayne Knight and Tom Kenny and Jennifer Aniston. These yeah. people are doing fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they're, they're, I don't think they're hurting for their edge royalties, you know? 
picturing Jennifer Aniston like slamming her fist on a desk like get me those edge royalties I want that 25 cents (laughs) I was gonna get that gumball Uh, uh, John Schnepp uh, sold me uh, mm. sold his movie through his website, and Ash Coyote, I don't, Ash Coyote, uh, uh, put a documentary on the queer history of furries on her channel because the pandemic stopped the film festivals that they were going to be going to. Uh, thanks, Doctor Nova. P.S. The Cat in the Hat talked about the propaganda Doctor Seuss wrote, so it wasn't entirely out of nowhere. Uh, yeah. but it was in a cartoon house, so it was a little weird. Um, yeah. Uh, we, so yeah, that's a good. That's an excellent point. Yeah, I've. I've I've said before that uh, mm-hmm. we both said this before that uh, yeah. if if a film is not available and a studio who owns it or whoever owns the film uh, and you know who owns the film refuses to put it out uh, or or, the, if, or, or the no studio, one knows who owns the or film the stu- but something's yeah, happened or the studio ha- uh, doesn't know if they have it or not or you don't know yeah. who owns it or they don't care that's that's when a pirate becomes an archivist yeah. they're not engaging in some sort of illicit activity they I, are but in a cool way well, i don't support piracy uh, when there's when there's a legal reasonable way to get the movie like if you're just like pirating spider-man no way home because you can't be bothered to wait until it's on streaming hmm. fuck you that's not cool you don't need to do that hmm. uh if on the other hand here's a movie that is available no other way maybe it aired on television no one knows or cares who owns the rights to it and you put that on youtube you're a hero hmm. because Otherwise, that thing will just be lost to history because people who own it probably don't give a shit or don't think there's a market for it. Mm. And as a result, they'll never put it out because there's nothing in it for them. Especially when you consider that a lot of the older uh, media that we're talking about, some of it was, uh, a lot of it isn't taken care of very well. Mm. The money it would take to clean it up nice and make it, you know, sort of uh, presentation worthy probably is more than they would actually make releasing yeah, like, the film in a lot of these cases yeah, too obscure to really yeah. have a, a big audience yeah. to pay for all so of that. so if so like you know if if disney uh, actually did put out the 100 lies of blackjack savage on disney plus mm-hmm. and they just kept it in the vhs's that it is now you would click on it and go what the fuck disney you cheap cheap skates what the hell but like if but but to spend the money on it might not make a lot of sense on the other hand knowing that blackjack savage is on youtube even in vhs format is oh thank god there's an archive yeah it exists out there historians yeah. can find it and sometimes these things are really interesting and really important and thank god they're available somehow we want yeah. the art to be available I, I always come down on Disney and give them a lot of shit. And yeah. they deserve it. They do. Uh, but uh, I would subscribe to a Disney streaming service if it was a low-quality archive of the, their entire catalog. Literally everything and they any, got. Anything not on Disney+. Plus, yeah. Just everything else that they do own. Yeah. Just put Including in, Fox yeah, and all, all the that Fox shit. Stuff, just yeah. the entire back catalog of all of that every, stuff that Every own. episode of Mouser Size. Like, literally everything they don't, they don't think you give a shit. Some of, some of Disney's material is actually lost media. Yeah. Well, the, some, like, some of like, the early Disney Channel shows, yeah. like um, Dumbo's Flying Circus. There's right. a live-action kids show with, like, an animatronic Dumbo. Uh, I, I believe that one, a significant number of episodes are considered lost. Okay. Just because... No one cared. Mm-hmm. It's like when we lost a lot of early episodes of Doctor Who. No one right, was concerned right. about archiving them because it was just some throw-off TV oh, they, show. Only they found them in like Ethiopia or something. Some of them got yeah, found. Yeah. Some of them got found. Some of them only the audio got found, mm. and they like ended up making an animated movie out of it. Mm. And, uh, but like regardless, not maybe well, not what, everything uh, is available, but everything you got, make it available. I uh, I actually had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine named Kyle. Mm. Um, 
uh, old old colleague of mine. We were co-workers at Nerdist way, way back in the day. And yeah. uh, he's the biggest Doctor Who fan I've ever met. And he mm. knows a lot about Doctor Who. And uh, <laughs> evidently they found the video for a lot of those early Doctor Who episodes. Yeah. But they didn't have the audio. The audio was corrupted or they just didn't have the audio for some reason. But there were enough nerdy fans out there who held up cassette recorders to their TVs yeah. and recorded the audio that way. Yeah. But they were able to resync like fan audio back to the original. That's really cool. I, I like stories like that. That's really cool. Mm. And that, again, so many movies have been lost to history. Mm. And when you think about it, so, so many books, probably most of the books ever written. Oh yeah. <laughs> like lost history. Well, the, the, you think uh, about like the library of Alexandria was supposed to be like the greatest mm. uh, collection of, uh, of, of, Knowledge of yeah. knowledge ever ever collected up until it got burned down, and Julius Caesar was just like, "Eh, let it." And Cleopatra was like, "Can we please not?" And Julius Caesar was like, "No, man, stuff is happening." Do you ever see that film Agora? No, uh, I heard with, about it. Though, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's like a biopic of Hypatia, the mm. the astronomer, and uh, Rachel Weisz plays Hypatia. Uh, it's uh, and it and it points out this the the library at Alexandria was burned down by mm. early Christians. Who are sort yeah. of going a little mad that the we can't have old Roman religion. It all has to be the Christian religion now. It's yeah. like this holy crusade by early Christians to burn down all sources of knowledge. Yeah, that uh, tracks. Yeah, it, it's it, it is a brazenly atheistic movie. Yeah. There's a lot of shots of like like everybody's like warring and bickering about religion and what they're going to do, and they're burning stuff down. And then the director cuts to a, a high shot of the whole planet. It's like the curve of the earth. We are but insects. None of this has meaning. It's It's, it's a bit much, but okay. It's a bit much. I I think it's a good film. I live in this weird state of vague dread. Uh Uh-huh. That uh, because when you think about it, you know, you go back far enough. We only have so many stories from antiquity that survived. Mm. You know, like you go back and oh, there's Beowulf, and there's nothing before Beowulf. It's Gilgamesh. Oh, sorry, Gilgamesh. Sorry, Gilgamesh. There's There's nothing before Gilgamesh. Plenty before Right. There's nothing before Gilgamesh. just, it's like it's, it's the oldest story we so it's, far have. Discovered. It's the oldest story we got, and it's considered in many respects foundational towards a lot of storytelling because of it. Mm-hmm. What if that sucked? What if what if when Gilgamesh came out, it was Morbius? <laughs> it was just this bullshit, <laughs> larger than Gilgamesh life story. Was was Morbius it was just time. considered a bad story, but for whatever reason, it was someone's favorite book. They kept it poly bagged, and like it's the only thing that survived thousands of years later. And now we think like Morbius is the most important movie ever made because hey, it's the only one that survived, right? I've, I've seen plenty of science fiction stories like that. Uh, there's there's a jack joke about that in uh, uh, Mortal Engines, that oh, like, yeah, yeah, big yeah. bomb movie where they're they're looking at like artifacts from the old world, things they've salvaged from centuries ago. Yeah, and they're looking at these these statues like of these statues golden of, idols. They're golden uh, the god. These must have been the gods they worshipped, and they were minions from yeah. the minions movie. Which is a good joke. A cute little joke. It's a good joke. Yeah, yeah I I live in horror of that. <laughs> <laughs> that will so, be remembered for. So I want I want as much to be preserved as possible. <laughs> So that Morbius is not the only thing that survives into the future. I know we should move on, but thank you for that. That's it's a good point. Thank you for everyone who is keeping that alive. Yeah, yeah. within uh, reason. So yeah, don't 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 buy and sell uh, stuff that's not yours. But if you know it's not available, by all means, keep it alive. Yeah, keep that VHS tape that you have some from some old and my rule is TV movie. And my rule is if you ever like watch something on YouTube, because like there's a movie that um, I don't think Tag the Assassination Game has ever been released on like home video uh, or maybe like VHS, but Mm -hmm. never since. Uh, It's a film, early film by Nick Castle, who directed the Last Starfighter. It's got stars Linda Hamilton, Um, and it is about a game of like tag that is being played 
across an entire college campus. It's like the latest fad or whatever. Mm. But someone starts taking it too seriously, starts killing people, and nobody realizes it until it's too late. <laughs> and it's a really, really fun movie. I don't think it's ever been released on home video, but if it ever is released on home video, I feel obligated to buy it. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, hey, I was the one who was helping keep it alive and showing that there was interest in it. Mm. I feel like, if possible... You yeah, want to you want to show your support for the people who actually are trying to put it out there and say, oh, you like that? You'd want that in the in the you want that available? Cool, here it is. Okay, fine. Here's some money. Yeah, I, I, I did that. A, a cartoon show I was very fond of. I bought a bootleg of it. Somebody yeah. just made uh, one of those bootleg booths. Which, how are those legal? I don't know. Probably yeah. not. Uh, that you find at like oh, they're conventions. Not. Oh, they're not. And but uh, it's, but again, a lot of it is stuff that there's like no one really caring yeah, about. Exactly. You know, uh, but when a uh, legit it, uh, edition of that cartoon show came out, I ended up buying that one just because hmm. I wanted to to do my due diligence. Anyway, here's a letter from Alex. Hi, Hi Alex. Alex. Uh, dear Le- dear William Bibbs Bibiani and Whitney Rockmeister McCool Seibold. Uh, recently, a friend and I went to a mystery movie marathon at the Prince Charles Cinema here in London. Oh, that sounds fun. Ooh, I, I, that's uh, the way they do it at the New Beverly. Like when they mm-hmm. do the all-night horror-thons, you yeah. don't know what the movies are going in. Uh-huh. It's like you get four to six movies. Okay. Oh, so, it's, so, so it's, not just, it's not just a whole bunch of mystery movies. It's a bunch of movies that are all a mystery to the audience. Yeah. Like they oh, don't know. I was, like, looking, you, I was you thinking know what it was the movie like is until it a bunch of Miss Marple flicks, but okay, well, that's fun, too. Uh, I, I <laughs> Both remember, of those are fun ideas. I remember there was an, an all-nighter uh, we did at the New Beverly of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Ah, and, uh, and, and you know which ones you're going to show. Uh, yeah, you know there were Schwarzenegger movies. You've probably seen a lot of them. It's like, yeah. it, it could be The Terminator. could be Junior. Yeah. Like, you, don't know what, you don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> probably um, a little bit of both. Probably one cool thing and a bunch of crap, right? Uh, no, the, we... we it was stacked really well. Uh, the okay. new Beverly programmed it pretty well, but the one that uh, sort of scared everybody out—it's like this is the one that started around two thirty a.m. Like everybody's yeah. a little tired. Yeah. This has to be a good yeah. one to keep you're, people. You're, in their you're seats. debating whether or not you're going to go like, home. Oh, no, no, okay, let's, do let's we really want to do what one it is. more? Let's see okay. what it is. And uh, the first line that appeared on the screen was, "Her name was Red Sonia," and everybody got up and left. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wanted to stay for Red, Red Sonia. Red Sonia is not that. I mean, it's, it's silly. It's, but that, it's, it's a fun matinee movie. It's fine, but if you're going to a Schwarzenegger all nighter, you want Terminator Two. I'm staying, how often do you get to see Red Sonia on the big screen? I'm totally staying for Red Sonia. I can see Terminator on the screen any goddamn time. Red Sonia on the big screen? Come anyway, uh, Alex says there were five movies and I'd like to hear your take on them. Okay. The lineup of this mystery movie marathon. Let's do it. I'm going to list all five really quickly, okay? Okay. Uh, okay, actually, let's go through a like, timestamp. Okay. So, uh, let's say it starts at 7 p.m. Okay. This is uh, in my mind. This is an all nighter. Yeah, and we're, and we're gonna we're be hazy on the time code. Yeah, okay. So, uh, seven p.m. Harvey, nineteen fifty. Ooh, good pick. Yeah, great okay. start. Good, good, good. Yeah. Kind sweet, of a sentimental you know? kind of a picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah light and fluffy. Yeah. Uh, so that's at seven. At around nine nine thirty of what's up, Doc? Nineteen seventy two. Ooh, yeah, you're really alert at that point. Also, we've got a vague rabbit theme because there aren't any yeah. rabbits in What's Up Doc, but What's Up Doc is something Bugs Bunny says. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so we got a theme uh, going. So, uh, okay, now we're at around eleven p.m., eleven thirty, uh-huh. rounding the midnight hour. You want something a little bit more intense? To live and die in L.A. Nineteen eighty five. That is a um, shift. It's a bit of a shift. That's in tone. a huge shift in tone. Uh. If I were trying to keep somebody up, I'd choose something a little bit more energetic than To Live and Die in L.A. That's a little bit of a downbeat it's a, movie. It's got an amazing car chase, but you got to wait a while to get yeah, to it. And, like, and Willem Dafoe's really good in that. Oh, movie. yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's... I think I'd pick something a little bit more hyper, Yeah, I think, to yeah. get people you know, but, back up. But fair enough. Okay, that's that starts at around midnight. So now you're at Great two, movie, by the way. If you've never seen it, see it. So now it's about 2 a.m. You really want to perk people up? Miami Connection. <laughs> All right, all right. <laughs> That'll keep people up. Show people a midnight movie, a bunch of right. like fucking weird weirdness. Uh-huh. It's not my favorite midnight movie, but it's really, really fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure, it makes sense. 
And uh, number five, like the one to greet the sun, it uh-huh. starts at around 4 a.m., Mars Attacks. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. That's, I like a, that. It, it starts, that's a good one. starts funny, gets intense, and gets like really weird at the end. I like it's that. interesting. I also like that it starts kind of serious. You're starting with like a cinema classic, mm-hmm. like Harvey, Oscar winning, uh, uh, beloved film. Uh, moving on to a celebrated film, but it is also kind of wacky. Yeah. It's the Live and Die in L.A. that really sticks out in that's the middle a, there. I'm, just, I'm not sure where the transition occurs. Because we go from serious but kind of funny you know, movie, movie um, about things. What's Up Doc is... Straight up comedy. It's one of the straight funniest up screwball, movies. Trying to, aggressively trying not to be about anything. Money, kind of, money laundering cop yeah, drama. Severe yeah. money laundering cop drama. I don't know. I'm imagining maybe a cop drama with a little bit more oomph to it. Hmm. Like instead, like one of the bad boys is or something like that. Yeah, Maybe to really like a lot of clunky, egg yeah. dumb action to keep. You yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that, or a lethal weapon, something like that. Um, but whatever, he went for the more severe thing, and then Miami Connection, just to sort of like just a hard about face from that, hmm. and then yeah, Mars Attacks is a great closer. Mars Attacks is a great closer. Yeah, Mars yeah. Attacks is it's fun, it's weird. You don't get to see it in the big screen very often. Yeah, hmm. I like that. The uh, and the if you recall how the movie ends, they yeah. It opens at the dawn. Yeah, like the sun's it coming the sun's up. Go, so, yeah, oh, that's, like, a, uh, uh, that's fine. J- Tom Jones comes out of a cave and holds out his <laughs> arm and a falcon lands on it and starts singing that's not unusual. Uh, that's that's the ending of Mars Attacks. You know what? That that does that actually is perfect. You have a movie that ends at sunset or sunrise. Oh. That is perfect, actually. For, uh, Harvey, for Harvey ends at, well, it's at sunrise in Harvey, right? Because they're walking off as the sun is yeah, is it, kinda, but it's yeah. rising in the movie, isn't it? No, but no, it was it they were they were out all night though. Remember, yeah, they were so like the inside a bar, so the sun would be point. rising, give or take. So it's, yeah. they both end with a sunrise. Interesting choice. Okay, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any meaningful. I guess it connection. begins with a sunset. Does it? Doesn't it? Actually, no, I'd have to go back and no, watch. No, it begins with Harvey like going about his morning. And oh, like his sister right. yeah, and his uh, uh, oh, niece yeah, yeah, are like right. trying right. to get him out of the house okay. so they could have like a, a suitor over. So it's a little different. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, I take back what I said. Yeah. Well, that's a random collection of films. Um, mm. Sounds like a fun night. I like that almost all of those movies are movies you don't get to see in theaters very often. Yeah. But even yeah. to live in LA, I'd be like, really? Well, but my- I don't get to see it in theaters very often, so fuck it, let's do this. Uh, Miami Connection was yeah. re- on like the really, really heavy in the midnight. Yeah, that, that's the one you get to see a lot. But yeah, I feel like there's a certain kind of like cult underground movie that you know used to be mm. a really rare find. But those kinds of movies are now so easily proliferated across the internet. Yeah, that something like Miami Connection no longer feels like an oddity. It feels almost like a gimme. Yeah, even though it's a, an incredibly strange film. Yeah. Uh, well, some of them also get more hype. You know, if you yeah. had picked something like, um, oh, what's that one? What's that other one that was like uh, from like. Samurai Cop? No, 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 no. The one that you were like one of the two people to see in theaters. Oh, Dangerous Man. Like, Dangerous Man doesn't have the clout. It just yeah, doesn't yeah. have... Dangerous like, Dangerous Man never really took off. Except lot, here in LA, there was a little scene. There's still but, uh, a lot of people who could really be surprised by Dangerous Man. But I feel like if you have any interest in the cult movie scene, you probably at least heard of Miami Connection. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's, it just got so much buzz. I think it's well, a little and less... I, I think... Uh, Outfits like the Alamo Draft House, yeah. like they'll actually sponsor and restore a lot of these movies. Yeah. That, that's Vinegar what happened Syndrome with, did as well with New York Ninja. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, that, but that's what happened with Samurai Cop, uh, yeah. which was this uh, very strange movie that was made over the course of many years. I think it was ultimately released in 1990. I don't recall the the actual release date. It was made by an Iranian. It was around there. Uh, Amir yeah. Shervan uh, starred Robert Zadar and a, a guy named Matt Hannon with a. a who had a wig in some scenes just because they had to shoot it across a, a, a great time frame. 
It's a truly bizarre, cheap mm. piece of work. It's very just, entertaining. Oh, very entertaining. On its, watch. on its own merits. It's, you know, lo-fi, but they're trying to make lo- a fun action yeah. movie and it works. Terrible dialogue, oh. awful editing, even the color timing is off in a lot mm. of scenes. And yeah, uh, Matt Hannon, uh, f- in the final fight scene, his wig, like, leaves his head. Like, you see a <laughs> gap in between the wig and his head. Nice. And he pushes it back on. Luckily, it falls, like, right back on his head. So the scene is, but that's in the final cut of the movie. Perfect. Keep it. <laughs> that's a problem he'd have to face every day. <laughs> <laughs> Samurai Cop has trouble with trouble with his wig every day. Uh, and, yeah, if you're discovering that on your own, that's something you'd share with friends. That's this weird sort of rarefied thing. Mm-hmm. But thanks to Alamo Drafthouse, I feel like it's pretty commonly seen now. But, it's, but, it's, but it deserves that. to be, though. I think it's, it's yeah. fun, and I'm glad it found an audience. Mm. There's this weird thing where we almost resent cult movies as they become too popular. Mm. It's sort of like, well, well it's, used no, to be, it's no longer your thing they, they anymore. Used, you know? They used to, it's, it's like, um, I found the Ark of the Covenant, and now everyone has one. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's well, it's, it's, it's weird. A little, it's a little less special, isn't it? Well, yeah. arguably, but in the case of it, art, I'm glad it proliferated. It, if everybody's seen it, it's not a cult movie anymore, and you well, like that sort of cult appeal. I don't just, know if that's necessarily true. Just because everyone's seen it doesn't mean everyone likes it. I guess so. You know? Mm. We uh, should move on. But that's uh, that's a fun night. I'm glad you got to have that night. I hope you stay with the whole thing. Also, Hard Ticket to Hawaii is on Tubi right now. There so you go. Saying. Oh, classic. <laughs> Genuine classic. Oh, I wonder if Blood Moon is anywhere. That's mine. That's that's, that's your uh, your heart. I keep that's a Gary Gary Daniels movie. I keep trying to make Blood Moon a thing. There's a movie called Blood Moon, which is about like a werewolf, which is actually pretty good. Uh, But there's a movie called Blood Moon starring the great Gary Daniels. Uh, he's, uh, he's Australian, New Zealand. I think he's in New Zealand. Uh, he was like a kickboxing champion. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, Blood Moon is not streaming anywhere oh, at that's the moment. Too bad. Uh, but um, yeah, it's about a serial killer who is killing all of the world's greatest martial artists using their own styles against them. Also, all those guys live in the same town, and the serial killer profiler, the Clarice Starling, if you will, is also one of the world's greatest martial artists, so he's also on the list, and he's paired up with a cop who does stage magic, and the commissioner is played by Frank Gorshin. Awesome! The only thing it's missing is Cameron Mitchell. I will say this. Other thing that's cool about it, the fight choreography, legitimately amazing. Well, Gary Daniels was a, a legit fighter, so and he indeed, did all the choreography. And indeed, yeah. a lot of people were cast specifically because they were good fighters, not because they were good actors. So the fight scenes <laughs> are awesome. It's just the movie sucks. It's an amazing disconnect, <laughs> and I hope you see it someday, because it's a treat. It's probably on YouTube. Uh, it probably, it probably is. That'd be a great place to find. Not, it. Look, look for Gary Daniels' Blood Moon. I think it's two words. Might be one. That's ninety early nineties. Oh, no, right? mid nineties. You oh, would. Yeah. It looks like a movie from like eighty four. It was like <laughs> shot in like ninety six. Yeah, <laughs> it's like so so weird, bizarre. Yeah. Uh, here's our next letter. Okay. This comes from David. Hi, David. Uh, right. Hi, Whitney and Bibbs. So after your recent explanation of what a horny movie is, okay, I was wondering what your recommendations would be for this genre. Uh, for this genre of sorts. Uh, Adrian Lin was always a gap in my film watching history and prior to seeing Deep Water I made it a point to watch his films and thoroughly enjoyed his approach I've seen some main ones in the genre like Basic Instinct and Cruel Intentions but was wondering if you had any other lesser known recommendations I ah. uh, love your work kind regards David uh, uh, okay well again your yeah, mileage is going to vary on this not what, what works for everybody in terms of horny isn't going to work for everyone well, else but uh, 
Well, just, I, just, I was, just a caveat up front. You know? I was lamenting that people were like assorni- assi- assigning the word horny to the movie and not to themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. Just like I watched this movie and I and but you can get horny, horny from like but, um, you know watching like a commercial. It's not supposed to be I, I, like if you just have a libido. That's I, I, I suppose know. so, but. Uh, it, it felt like de- it feels like deflection to me, but um, yeah, yes, there were there. I feel like sex used to be a little bit more common in mainstream feature films. Yeah, uh, like overt just, sex, yeah, like actual sexual content. Whether or not you yeah. saw it, it was like about it was part of the story. Especially when I was young, there was this big wave of erotic thrillers. Uh, Basic Instinct uh, was sort of like the crown jewel in that uh, mm-hmm. particular trend. Uh, films like Indecent Proposal was in there. Jade was in there. Um, Sliver was in there. Um, mm-hmm. Disclosure was one of those movies. Yeah, there, there uh, was this whole like Joe yeah. Esterhaus wave of erotic, yeah, mostly yeah. erotic thrillers, sometimes just just erotic. Um, I'll give you my my number mm-hmm. one. Uh, absolutely, yes, this movie because not only is it a, a horny movie about people who really mm-hmm. want to have sex with each other and do, but it's also a really really great film, mm-hmm. and that is the Wachowskis' first film, Bound. Okay, yeah. Bound is about uh, uh, an ex-con who is working as a fix-it person at an apartment complex. And one of the people who live in the apartment... That's Gina Gershon. Uh, It turns out one of the people who lives there is a gangster, played by Joe Pantoliano, and his trophy wife, played by Jennifer Tilly, uh, who is very queer and seduces uh, Gina Gershon, and together they decide to rip off the mob. Very sexy, but impossible. Also impeccably crafted, really mm. just ratcheted tension. Like, abs- just it doesn't get much more taut uh, than yeah. uh, than Bound. So, Bound is yeah. definitely the first one that comes to mind. I saw a film last year called The Voyeurs. Oh it yeah, has, uh, an actress named Sydney Sweeney, who uh, I didn't know this at the time, but she's in in that TV show Euphoria, which I haven't seen. Uh, but yeah, that's about voyeurs. Uh, this young couple looks across the apartment uh, in the high rise across the street from them, and they see this like sexy young photographer guy, and he's always like seducing models uh, who are you know coming to his place for photo shoots, uh, unbeknownst to his girlfriend or wife. They don't know their actual relationship, mm-hmm. and uh, and of course the Sydney Sweeney character becomes kind of obsessed with both of them and actually want wants to be seduced by the the photographer and there's yeah there's just a lot of nudity and sex in it it's about <laughs> being horny and it ends in this very tales from the crypt way it's really hmm. really a pretty awesome movie uh I'm trying to think of like other I would say Ero- like uh, erotic thrillers from like the golden era that people might not have heard of you know what's a really hmm. good movie strict to kill hmm. have you seen strict to kill I've heard of it. It's, I don't think I've actually watched uh, it. Yeah. Let me look up a little details on this. It was put yeah. out by uh, Corman's company, actually. So, uh, you know, it made the rounds as a, just sort of as a, a sleazy B movie, but it's actually right. a little bit more, um, a little bit more thoughtful than that because it was, it was directed by Cat Shay and it's about a serial killer who's uh, stalking strippers. Seems like, yeah. you know, a good B movie premise. Oh, wait, is this the one with um, Mary Lou Henner? No, no, no. Has okay. K-, K Lens is in this one. Oh, okay. Norman Fell is in it. Um, Greg Evigan is in it. Uh, no, it's it's yeah about um, a cop who has to go undercover as a stripper. Ah. And a lot of the movie is devoted to just watching the strippers perform. But I think because it's directed by Cat Shea, it's directed by a woman. Uh, it's mm. not like 
specifically lascivious, it's actually really pro-stripper mm. and uh, sort of points out that this is really difficult work. This is a little bit more of a realistic view as to what it's like backstage. It's not just for titillation's sake. It doesn't play into a male fantasy. Right. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of nudity in it and there's you know a, a lot of actual strip acts in it. But I think you're just as impressed with the strip acts as you are mm-hmm. you know, titillated by the, the naked bodies. Uh, I really like Strip to Kill. I think you have to see it. Uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, the actual... Uh, denouement uh, is is pretty interesting. There's a trans character in the movie, okay. uh, and just sort of in- incidentally trans. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I think that one's a pretty good movie. Yeah. Uh, um, I would say, uh, um, and, and it had a sequel called uh, Strip to Kill. Strip to Kill Two: Live Girls. Well, that tracks. And I haven't seen Live Girls, but Cat Shay also did that one. Uh, the uh, what was it? Uh, Brian De Palma has made his fair share of horny movies. Oh God! Uh, oh uh, yes, I have I have a good. Uh, I would say I would say particularly my personal favorite is a film called Body Double, uh, which mm. is a very strange film uh, about a guy who takes on a house sitting job and there's uh, someone who lives across the way and he's got like a telescope and he can see into her apartment and he sees that every night she does a sexy dance and becomes obsessed with her mm. and he falls in love with her and he really wants to have sex with her and then he sees her murdered, <laughs> and, but then but then. He's watching porn one night. This is a real plot point. And he sees that a porn star played by Melanie Griffith is doing the exact same sexy dance. So his obsession transfers over to the... And he doesn't know what the connection is. It's very... It's basically Rear Window beats Vertigo and a couple other things I don't want to ruin. Uh, It's a... It's... All about a guy who's who's so horny it gets him into a lot of trouble, uh, and uh, there's some incredible filmmaking in it. There is maybe the least realistic portrayal of an adult movie film set I've ever seen. <laughs> like this is like how much money have you spent on this triple X movie in the mid '80s? There is no goddamn way they would spend this much money. Hmm. Uh, but it is one hell of a sequence, and you absolutely have to see it to believe it. Yeah. Uh, so, Body Double comes to mind. Uh, my uh, Brian De Palma recommendation would be Femme Fatale. Which oh, is, yeah. Uh, a, you like this movie more than I do, but a, it is I think it's I think it's really underrated, but yeah. yeah. Uh, Rebecca Ramin plays uh, a, a, a slinky gentle lady thief who is robbing the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, mm. Specifically, she is robbing the top off of a model. And she, like, lures the model oh, into the bathroom and makes out with her while she's, like, slicing off her top because it's got diamonds on it. So she's, like, yeah. passing pieces of this top underneath the bathroom door while uh, you know, her compatriots are sort of taking it and putting them in bags. And this leads to this bizarre case of mistaken identity where she might have lost her memory and Antonio Banderas is on her tail and is like photographing her mm. and isn't sure if it's two women or it's, what's going on. It's, it's a legitimately a little hard to follow after a while, but yeah, it is yeah. nevertheless riveting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's and, and it's, it's, and, a it's hell of a and it's Re- Rebecca Ramin and Antonio Banderas. So there's already steam coming out of, off of this. Oh yeah. And this is, this is at the height yeah. Of both of their this, like, this, this was uh, like two thousand five. That movie came out. Yeah, I, I, I really like Femme Fatale. I think uh, I think that mm. I like that better than Body Double, quite frankly. But uh, I, I can see I, why. I, I run I, hot I stand and cold by. on De Palma. I think he makes a lot of horrible crap, but he's also made some legit <laughs> classics. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's like. Because there was a bunch of crap, like Body of Evidence, where Madonna had sex with a guy to death, and Willem Dafoe was like the lawyer who has sex with her to see if it's real, <laughs> and you're just sort of like, no to all of this. Uh, and, and there are plenty of... Like, hard pass. I, I remember renting a movie once uh, called Storm Swept. 
from like the late 80s, a horror movie. No and, memory and, of this. And the front had, you know, the usual kind of cliched uh, image of like it's a woman sort of draped in a, a sheet. But yeah. uh, over her are at least the giant kind of like scary owl eyes. It's like, oh, cool. I want a monster movie. I'm going to get this movie with this like owl monster where it's because it sweeps in on a storm and takes people up. And, right. You know, maybe it's some cool shots of the monster. It turns out it was a haunted house picture. Oh. And people were had gone there to film like the sexy bee movie. But, like, the demon in the basement was actually, like, a horniness demon. <laughs> so they all got just, like, really horny, and they all start, like, sleeping around. It's clearly just this oh complete sexy schlock. And yeah. it's plenty sexy. It's really well photographed for a film of its type, because right. there's a lot of, like, long shadows and really interesting photography. But it clearly exists just for the sex scenes. It's softcore right. porn. And I can't really, in good conscience, recommend a film like Stormswept. Because it's not really that good a movie. Well, you're telling people what they're in for. I'll tell you what, here here is, this is maybe, maybe, if we're being honest, Uh like the horniest movie of the turn of the century, at least this turn of the century. Uh Uh, And that is uh, John McNaughton's Wild Things. (laughs) I don't know how it took us so long to get to Wild Things. That is a sleazy ass movie, That should have been the very first thing that came to our heads. Uh, that is uh, Matt Dillon plays a uh, I think he's a guidance counselor. He's a guidance teacher. counselor. He's a guidance counselor who's, who's a, having an affair with one of his students. Yeah, he's a, and uh, played by um, Denise uh, Denise, Rich- Denise Richards. Yeah, and then Nev Campbell like and reveals their he's illicit like, affair. Yeah, she, and he, and, she, she's, and going, she's like the bad girl in, yeah. in class. And, and then uh, her. and then uh, uh, just when you think you got your handle on what kind of movie this is, yeah. it gets hornier. Yeah. <laughs> and then it gets hornier than that. And then there are twists and turns and twists and turns. It's one of the twistiest turns movies but it does make sense mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things where it feels like it doesn't make sense and you stay for the credits and they explain everything that seemed like a plot hole <laughs> <laughs> they really did their yeah, they really did a, the work in wild things yeah, it's a real God. film kevin bacon is in it bill yeah. murray has a small part yeah, in all movie. of kevin bacon is in it by the way oh yeah uh, every last bit of it um, um i remember uh reading an interview with kevin bacon he has he has a nude scene in the movie and yeah. like he's stepping out of the shower it's very super exploitative you know, yeah. kevin bacon's like all cut and lo- yeah. looks really nice and he was really shy. He didn't want to have a nude scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, we want you to get out of the shower. The the angles we have, like, we're, we're trying different angles to see, like, what you're most comfortable with, Kevin uh-huh. Bacon, because we want, want to make you comfortable. Uh-huh. And, you know, every time we shoot it, you turn around and we see something. And and uh, they, they kind of flattered him. It's like, we see something. It's a lot to see, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> God. And he was, like, a little bit flattered. And he says, well, okay, fine. I mean, how do I look? It's like, well, I mean, it looks great. It's like, fine, keep it in the movie. Well, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was he was a little bit shy, but when they said you look yeah. great, he, he was able to yeah. be at peace with it. Uh, a movie I'm quite fond of, uh, came out at a very formative time for a lot of people in my generation, was mm. uh, Fear, directed by James Foley and starring Mark Wahlberg and Reese Witherspoon. That's a terrible movie. It's a terrible movie, but it's a, but it's a fun, trashy movie, I mm. think. It's basically all about, hey, you know that like cute guy your daughter likes, but you know he's a bad influence? He's a horrifying killer monster. <laughs> and it's all about how her unbelievable attraction to a very young Mark Wahlberg, and they mm. film him like he's gorgeousness personified well, I mean, at the he, time he was a model you know and he had his um, own workout video and stuff yeah, yeah it was uh mm. but it, 
this movie ends like the, the climax of this movie is so like unbelievably over the top horrifying <laughs> like there's some real trigger warning stuff and like just in terms of like just they lay siege to her parents house like it's mm. just this incredibly horrible thing um so that's another one that comes to mind but we should move on but hopefully they get something to work with uh there's plenty to choose from and i'm mm. sure there's plenty we missed yeah i'm moving um. on here is, one or two more. here is a letter from, oh, you know what? There's no, uh, okay. there's no name. If there's no, no name at the bottom, I'm not going to, uh, yeah. Oh, although it starts with from Joshi Poo. Oh, well, there you so, go. <laughs> from Joshi Poo. It's in there. So, um, hello, many O's, uh, you sexy guys from the critically acclaimed. Thank you. I've been listening to you guys for years, but it wasn't until I saw Bibbs in an episode of what the flick that I actually fell in love with his face. Such beautiful eyes. Oh, well, thank you very much. I've always admired Whitney for very, uh, for very long as he is an openly bisexual married man. I'm bisexual as well. So I've always looked up to Whitney for this and also have a crush on him. Oh my goodness. You're going to make me blush. Yes. Anyway, right flattery now. aside. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, what kind of TV do you watch nowadays? Ah. Uh, quick answer, none. Uh, <laughs> I watch some. You're always, recommend, you're always recommending great films, but any new TV shows could you guys recommend? I have three that I think you guys would like. Okay. One of them is the show Station Eleven. It's a pandemic show. I've heard this is good. Yeah. from an Emily St. John book that predates COVID, and the pilot was shot before COVID as well, and this show breaks all the typical pandemic and end-of-the-world tropes. It's a show that made for theater kids and has a great bottle episode with the main character being portrayed by uh, Danielle Deadweiler, who gives an amazing performance. Hmm. Uh, second is the show Southside. It's about a group of characters who are working in a Lone Depot store on the south side of Chicago and all the hilarity that ensues. Uh, I thought about it when I was watching the show because in one episode there's a dance competition and one team is missing a dancer and the coach wants to step in for her, but they have to get the judge's approval and the coach cites the 1997 classic Air Bud and it's rule yes. that nowhere does it say that dogs can't play basketball. Nice. Uh, third is the show Yellow Jackets. I have heard so many Yellow good Jack, things about Yellow Jack. I really need to watch this. About a team of high story. school girl soccer players from the 1990s that crash in the Canadian Rockies, and it shows how they try to survive while jumping to the future and showing some who survived. Two of the future women are played by Christina Ricci and Juliette Lewis, who are killing it. Yeah, I've heard a lot about Yellow yeah. Jackets. Uh, just a quick question: Has William gotten around to watching Shang Chi yet? Yes. All right. Um, TV shows that I watch. Uh. Uh, <laughs> literally none yeah uh, i'm i'm too busy watching movies uh actually it's not entirely true i i uh when it, uh, new episodes come out for the animated series big mouth oh on yeah netflix i follow that's, that's your favorite i, I follow yeah. big mouth i think that's a, a very it's unbelievably crass and pointedly so like mm-hmm. they're trying to be as pretty straightforward and and you know, capture sexuality and all of its awkward grossness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also incredibly responsible mm. about its sexual attitudes, I think. Uh, it That's really cool. is, uh, you know, addressing things in sort of a dirty, frank way, but in a very real, relatable way. Mm. And, you know, our, our relationship to our bodies can be a little bit gross at times, and puberty is a really difficult time. The, the premise of the show is it's about a bunch of 13-year-olds who are, like, kind of stuck in eternal puberty. And all of the horrible things that happen to you when you're going through puberty and all mm. of the awkwardness therein. It's like the Wonder Years, but there's no wonder. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the gimmick of the show is uh, each one of these kids has essentially like this imaginary deity that sort of stands over their shoulders that represents all of their hormonal thoughts. There's a horror monster and a, a hormone monster and a hormone monstrous. And they're played by uh, Nick Kroll, the show's creator, and, uh, and Mike Rudolph. Ah. And they only ever make, like, the most crass suggestions. Like, your hormones make give you the worst advice. 
So the joke is, oh, I don't know. I should, what, what am I going to do today? I don't know what I should do. You should masturbate, man. It's like, hey, what the fuck? <laughs> I feel kind of depressed. Why are you telling me this now, hormones? <laughs> That's funny. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't have as much time to watch uh, TV as I would yeah. like either. Uh, again, we do a lot of podcasts. We review movies for various other things. So um, generally speaking, I don't tend to watch a lot of TV that requires a lot of uh, emotional or intellectual investment. Mm-hmm. It tends to be stuff like, like, let's just watch something light while we eat lunch. Yeah. Uh, on that end, uh, like uh, my partner Michelle and I, uh, we have been catching up on a show we barely ever watched, but we're just sitting down and binging it now. Uh, Bob's Burgers. Everyone else okay, knows yeah. and loves it and have forever. We saw a couple of episodes here and there, and then we just happened to start watching it all the way through, and we got through like five seasons in the last half year. Okay. So like that's something we're doing just for fun. Uh, for other stuff that we're watching that's a little bit more um, new, uh, there's a great show on Netflix that got really overlooked, and it pisses me off because it's great, called Centaur World. Uh, and uh, it opens in this sort of really awesomely anime animated, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic wasteland where a bunch of heroes on their horses are fighting off wave after wave of minotaurs, which have conquered the land. Mm. <laughs> and then uh, a horse gets separated from its rider, falls into a portal, and ends up in a cutesy fantasy dimension where everything is a centaur and she's the only horse. How bizarre. Okay. And uh, she ends up on a mission with a bunch of really bubbly, weird creatures who all have their own magical powers, but the only magical power they all have is they all have the power to shoot tiny versions of themselves from their hooves. Every episode is a musical. And uh, it's fucking great. And it actually does manage to really uh, have real emotional heft to it. In a very unexpected way. I love it. I hope people see it. It's really, really good. I'm behind on this show. The show is on Disney. Uh, I've only seen about like the first part of season two. And it's on season two right now. Mm -hmm. uh, Called The Owl House. Uh, You've told me about it. The Owl House House, is a wonderful animated series uh, about... um, uh, a uh, imaginative uh, bisexual teen girl who uh, is like sent to a boring summer camp to sort of like grind the the rebelliousness out of her. But and, she... and it's not like teasy weezy kind of you know non canonical dialogue. No. Like she's explicitly bisexual. Yeah, I mean right? they, don't, they don't talk about it all the time. But you know, okay. the first person he has a crush on is a girl. Next person he has a crush on is a guy. Perfect. So boom. Uh, but uh, at least that's what it where it was going when I left the show. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know how that storyline panned out yet. But uh, anyway, she falls into a portal and goes into this really weird, very fucked up uh, magic dimension uh, where she starts learning how to do magic. Uh, but it doesn't go in the way you think, and it's very very cool. Um, if you love Gravity Falls, you have to see the Owl House. Uh, it's not made by the same people, but it's got the same vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the pieces. Uh, I also like finding like really shitty trash shows. Uh, oh, you know, you I know? am I am following the new Star Trek shows. Oh, there so you go. If you want shitty trash, <laughs> no, 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 you don't understand. The show that I started getting into, and I because uh, like the I think it was only one. I think it was like two seasons, hmm. but they're on they're on Tubi. Uh, is Sheena. Starring Gina Lee Nolan from Baywatch is a superhero Those... series from the producers of Baywatch. Uh, oh, the the older Sheena show, like, from the... like two thousand. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was wondering if there was like a new Sheena. Show. No, no, no. I, no, I remember that. I remember the uh, yeah. the two thousand Sheena. It's it's under those series. just like uh, 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 syndicated low budget action adventure shows mm-hmm. uh, where uh, Gina Lee Nolan plays a, a, a woman who was raised in Africa. She can turn into animals and she fights drug runners and people looking for downed nuclear satellites and it's all very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Again, when I'm watching TV just for myself lately, I just I need something to help me my brain shut down, not fire, not activate, and uh, so I tend to gravitate towards that. Uh, I also hear there's new episodes of MST3K. I'm looking forward to checking those out at some point, but yeah, I haven't uh, seen them yet. They're on uh, their own streaming service. Yeah. they launched their own streaming service called Gizmoplex specifically for these Good new for them. episodes. Good for that. I hope oh, they're yeah. doing well. I'm a huge fan. I haven't had a chance to watch those new episodes yet because you know it takes a subscription and. Uh, you know, life is hard, but uh, I really want to check those out because I'm a Steve K fan. You know, yeah, yeah. do or die. Uh, but anyway, that's what I'm watching right now. Okay. Oh, and yeah. uh, oh, and uh, like some like cheesy um, cooking shows. When when it comes time to yeah. like doze off, yeah, it's yeah. there's a, like a, a couple of YouTube shows, a uh, YouTube shows I kind of follow. Yeah, I'm not sure if these like really count. Like, there's a lot of film review shows. I'm very fond of the the guys over at Red Letter Media. I mm. love how I love how much they just don't give a shit <laughs> about like just about anything. <laughs> Uh, it's like, how come you're not doing a review of this? Because we don't give a shit. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> review Batman. No. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? We don't want to. There's a... Uh, I, yeah. And and there's other, like, comedy criticism shows bef- besides. I recently discovered, and this is something you, you kind of pointed me towards a couple times, uh, and, and we talked about him, uh, the pitch meeting comedian. Oh, yeah, that guy's fun. Uh, yeah. He basically reverse engineers a movie so that all of the bad decisions mm. uh, are explained as if they were pitched as good ideas and somehow they got warped right, right, right. on the way to the screen, which is often how a lot of this shit happens. And, uh, Everyone thinks they're making a good movie until they're not. And yeah, the, and he plays, uh, the, the same comedian plays both the screenwriter and the executive, so he's yeah. having a conversation with himself, and they're both typically very enthusiastic about everything that's being pitched. Okay, I have this really <laughs> awful idea. And whenever uh, one of them points out like uh, some sort of like script problem, it's like, well, isn't this a problem? Because I I noticed there's a plot hole just in this brief description, and the reaction is, well, here's the thing about that. I need you to get off my back about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, and, and, the, and the executive is like, oh, well, okay then. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite awful cooking shows I ran into recently is a show on Netflix called Baking Impossible. Uh-oh. Have you seen Baking Impossible? No. They decide to. They, you work in a team. You get one person who does baking, mm. and another person who's like a who's like a civil engineer. And you have to make baked goods that accomplish tasks. Like we want you to build a load bearing cake. What? We want you to build a golf course out of baked goods. Like like a, like a workable like playable. a mini golf course. But yeah, a workable three hole mini golf course. But everything in it is edible except for the ball. That sounds awful. It's really stupid. Like, when would you need this ever? It doesn't make any sense in the world, but it's weirdly compelling because you're just they're making you're trying to make such a big deal out of it. Mm. Like, well, all of these shows are like cut and, and scored in like yeah. such a dramatic fashion. Like, it's actually a big fucking deal. I love it's watching. Really not. A, I love watching a, the cooking game show Chopped. It's, you know, yeah. something that chewing up for the eyes. I think everybody's seen Chopped at this sure. point. But uh, 
at, at the end of a round, the chefs present the dishes they've made to the, the panel of judges, and they're giving, like, positive, upbeat music while they're giving positive reviews. Oh, and I really liked you, what you do with the crew and the tamarind paste was used very creatively. But uh, your turkey was a little dry. And then there's this, like, dramatic sting as, <laughs> if, <laughs> as if they heard, like, their home country was just bombed. It's like <laughs> this, this awful music. It's like, dun, dun, dun. So this like, could be the end. This was a little salty. <laughs> And all hope falls out of the bottom of the world. I had to give up the Great British Baking Show because it was too intense. <laughs> That's it's not a, a joke. Show. That's not a joke. They every time something like "Oh God, the, my creme fraiche fell off the top of my cupcake" or whatever the fuck, <laughs> it was played with such intensity and such tragedy that uh, I was just like, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> this is too harsh. There's a great comedian I love uh, named James Acaster. Very, very funny guy. He did an episode of, like, Celebrity British Baking Challenge or British Bake Off, whatever it is. Hmm. Um, he has a bit in one of his stand-up shows where he talks about how he had, like, an emotional breakdown while filming The Great British Bake Off. Like, his girlfriend left him and, like, he fell off the wagon, but for, like, caffeine. And he completely changed it. Like, he totally... Like, he'd have, like, jet lag and hadn't slept in, like, 48 hours and, like, <laughs> ended up just sort of stirring the same bowl for like two hours and <laughs> missing the whole fucking bowl. it's absolutely just an incredible story but um anyway like i said too intense for me i gotta i gotta scale it back um anyway that is it for we've got mail thank you everybody for listening hope you enjoyed the episode we sure did uh if you want to write in uh we'd love to hear from you our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net once again, that's letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? If anyone uh, wants to send us more stamps. Yeah, wait, to, to go with <laughs> these awesome awesome wonderful stamps. Irish stamps. Never would have uh, thought. What a, what a treat. Yeah, send it to the Criti- Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, those are, those are already in a place of honor on my shelf. Thank you so much for that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we're also on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. If you want more exclusive shows, you can head over to our Patreon, Patreon com slash critically acclaimed network uh we've got shows we're reviewing every single film ever nominated for best picture we've got our oscars show we're not we're uh, reviewing every single film ever nominated for best picture we got an episode uh coming up real soon for that yeah. um we have a show called holy batman we've been reviewing every single episode of the 1960s batman that's on a very brief hiatus while we prep a spin-off show for cancel too soon yes. probably get to that hopefully next week uh and um and plenty of other stuff besides. We do hangouts with our patrons, a bunch of other cool stuff. So uh, thank you, everybody, for being a patron. If you are, you're supporting the show, you are keeping the show alive, and there's no other way it would be. So we're very, very grateful, grateful to you. And if you want to help out, we have a lot of exclusive shows for you. Um, anyway, I guess that's it, right? That's it. Uh, don't forget Mother's Day is coming up. Head on over to Salt Cat Soap on Etsy. Salt Cat Soap is all one word. You can find us on social media at Salt Cat Soap. That is the soap store that uh, my partner, Michelle... Uh, Michelle Lapis and I, uh, we we run, mm-hmm. and uh, we design soaps. We create soaps, uh, and uh, make them into like fun, uh, fun shapes and sizes, and, uh, and, and smells as well. Oh, that smells amazing in here. We've got a really really nice one. I'm very very fond of right now uh, called our Lawn Weekend Soap, which smells like fresh grass cuttings. It's so mm-hmm. good. Um, anyway, perfect for spring. Uh, so anyway, Mother's Day is coming up. Maybe think about it. I don't know. Soft sell, not going to push you. Anyway, thank you everybody for for everything, and uh, I guess that's all. Sincerely yours, Bibs and Winning. (laughs) 